everybody. How's everyone doing this morning? <laughs> Sweet. You guys are more awake than I am. That's awesome. Um, well, my name is Steve Van Meter. If um, some of you guys don't know me, you're like, wait, where did Tony go? <laughs> He's supposed to be like up here. Um, so I'm on staff here at Medina East, and I'm, I'm just really glad I get the opportunity to, um, to be able to hopefully teach you guys something today um, as we're going through this series. So if you are new, if you haven't been here, um, we're, we're in a, a six-week series right now called No End in Death. And so what we're, what we're trying to accomplish, we're in, we're in week four of that series today, and basically it's a, it's a series on pain and suffering. So we're looking for um, like a biblical response to pain and suffering. And so when crises like pain and suffering um, occur, uh, what, what are we going to do in those situations? What, what are the tools that we need uh, to kind of handle that or to prepare ourselves for that? So when you find yourself in that situation, um, our, our hope in this series is that we can give you some tools or resources to, to equip you um, to, when you're enduring or going through pain and suffering, to do that in a, maybe a Christ-centered, biblical, and practical way. So that's, that's what we're trying to accomplish here. And so um, at some point, many of us have or will, and this is something we've been saying, um, that our, in our culture is certainly asking the question, um, this question, how can a loving God allow pain, suffering, and loss? How can you do that? How can a loving God allow pain, suffering, and loss? And I think that's a, that's a question worth addressing, and that's uh, one that we're going to do today, and we're going to continue to do for the next couple of weeks. So as I was preparing for this, as uh, Tony asked me to do this teaching, I was like, man, I, I don't know much of anything about pain and suffering. I'm like, I, my life is like okay, and I'm like, I, I don't know. I'm not an expert on this topic. And so I was kind of like scrambling, and I'm like, all right, what does the scripture say? Like, what are, what are the books that I can buy and read? And what are the podcasts I can look at? And I met up a, a friend of mine um, just a few days ago, and I was telling him that. And he's like, man, I think, I think you actually are an expert on this topic. I, I think we all are. Because if, if we're honest, we have all been through some form of pain and suffering in, in our life. We've been through it. Or if you haven't, you're going to go through it. It's something that we all experience. And so I was like, man, that's, that's really good. You're right. I but I'm still going to look up all these resources and try to be an expert, right? Um, I don't trust myself that much. So as I was looking up um, some people, I, was, uh, I go to Moody Bible Institute, and I asked one of my professors, I was like, hey, um, you're really smart. Do you know anything about um, someone I can look up that can help me uh, research this topic? And he pointed me to C.S. Lewis, of course, because apparently you're not a Christian unless you've like, read C.S. Lewis and all of his stuff. And I have to admit, I, I am a Christian. And actually, this is the first time I've read one of his books in this last few weeks. So I don't know. There's that. But it was really good. I feel like I've read all this stuff because we always quote him a bunch. So I feel like I've read it all. But that's besides the point. So he, he uh, led me this guy named Stanley Hauervoss. Um, German theologian, uh, and basically he, he had this really interesting concept. He, he was talking about how it hasn't been um, up until like the 19th century or so that we have questioned God, his existence, um, because of or in, in um, opposition of this question of pain and suffering. And so let's, let's take a look real quick at uh, what he says. I have, I have this quote up on the board here. This is from one of his books called God, Medicine, and Suffering. He says something fascinating. He says, for the early Christians, suffering and evil, which for present purposes I do not need to distinguish, did not have to be explained. Rather, what was required was the means to go on even if the evil could not be explained. And I was like, man, that's really interesting. This, this quote should mess with us because if the early Christians like Paul and others didn't see pain and suffering as an obstacle to believe the very existence of God or Jesus, then 
or whether or not he exists, then we, we need to, um, and, but instead we ask the question, how am I supposed to respond to pain and suffering while I'm in the midst of it? How am I supposed to work through this and, and acknowledge it and do something about it? So if that's true, then we need to get really, we need to figure this out and we need to get kind of practical. So that's what I'm hoping to do today. So let's get started because pain and suffering is real and the Bible addresses this issue a lot, I think. And so to address the question, how am I supposed to respond to God in the midst of pain and suffering? Um, I'm going to, today I'm going to survey um, some different types of suffering that we see in the Bible. We're going to survey those different types. We're going to talk about um, how to identify them and how to respond to them and then how God uh, uses that. So let's be honest because not all suffering is the same. There are different types of sufferings out there. There's different types of reasons for it. There's different ways that we, um, as people acknowledge it and that we, as people respond to it. So there's all kinds of different types of pain and suffering. For example, I'll give you guys an example. Um, my wife recently uh, just had our newest son, Isaiah, okay? And I have a picture. I brought a picture up here. That's my, that's our two boys. So Emery right there holding Isaiah. Um, this is like, I think, day number two or something. He's like brand new right there. Um, so Emery's two and Isaiah right there, he's like three weeks or something. I should probably know that. He's like three weeks old. And um, so some of you guys are like, oh, that's cute. The other part of you are like, I have that same pillow from Target right? Someone, someone actually did that to me. They were like, can I see a picture of your son? I was like, yeah. And they're like, I have that same pillow. I was like, sweet. <laughs> so um, that's them. And there's my, there's my Apple plug shot on iPhone 6S, whatever. Um, Got to give my plug there. So um, that, that's just a little bit, that's our family right there. And um, this example I'm going to give you. So uh, my first son, um, Maggie, my wife, she, she delivered him unmedicated, um, all natural at Medina Hospital. It was awesome. It went really, really well. Okay? So, I, man, kudos to her. That just, that, that's just a lot of, like, pain they had to go through, right? Um, but our second son, uh, we did the same, except we did, we did it at home, actually. So, some of you guys are like, whoa. But uh, we had our son at home um, this time around, and so she couldn't have even been medicated if she wanted to, which I think at some point she wanted to be, so um, that was awesome. Um, but I have to tell you, uh, <laughs> did I miss something? Somebody said something. I'll see you later, all right? We'll talk about it. It'll be funny. <laughs> um, so I, I'll just tell you, though, through this whole experience, I, I can personally say that the, bir- the whole birthing process is pretty painful, right? I mean, think about it. I had to, like, hold my wife in these really awkward, situa- like, you know, circumstances. And, like, my, my back's starting to hurt. My feet are, like, trembling. And then she's, like, death-gripping my hand, my arm. Seriously, my, my arm was, like, swollen, like, the next day. And I don't even, like, she had all, my, all her nails on me. And she almost bit my, my thumb off at one point. It was crazy. So I know how painful it is, okay? Um, it's painful. <laughs> And not only that, I'll have to say, I've had kidney stones at one point in my life, and um, the doctor said that, hey, that's actually equivalent to uh, childbirth. So, women, I know your pain, okay? And you guys are like, I'm going to slap him, (laughs) right? Um, No, so the the whole point of sharing that story is to tell you a little bit about me and my humor, I guess. But also, um, it's true. We we all experience different types of pain and suffering, right? Um, Yeah, the the pain that I experienced was real, but it, it was you know, not as significant. I get that. Um, just go with the analogy. All right. Don't slap me later. Okay. So we, we have different types of pain. We all respond to it differently. We all have this in our lives. So 
This brings us to like our next anchor statement. So throughout this whole series, we've been saying each week we're going to provide an anchor statement or something that when pain and suffering occurs, you can arm yourself with this statement um, to use. And so to help ground you and to help get you back onto um, the right track of how to think about these things. So um, I'll kind of recap a little bit. If you, if you haven't um, heard any of these series before, I'd really encourage you to go back. First week was no end in death, and that was our, our Easter um, week, and Tony just, it was awesome, it was amazing. So I encourage you to check that out. I'm just going to run through these really quick. Week one, we said no end in death. Week two, we said, I can't always be certain of his reasons, but I can always be certain of his love. And then week three, last week, my adversity is an opportunity for unimaginable glory. And then week four today, we're going to talk about how not all suffering is the same, but God can use it all. Not all suffering is the same, but God can use it all, okay? So there's different types of suffering in the world, and God's aware of that, and he wants to use it. So that takes us to um, our first suffering here. Um, if you guys are a Bible person, and I hope you are, turn to page um, 215 in the Bibles underneath your seats. It's Second uh, Samuel 12 we're going to go in. And just a quick disclaimer, um, if you'd like to follow along, I'm, gonna, I'm not really planning myself in one scripture. I wanted to. There's just, I can't do that in this kind of sermon. So um, we're going to be jumping around just a little bit to four kind of main passages. So if um, you're a person who, who wants to read the Bible and do that, I encourage you to follow along. Otherwise, we have a Grace Church app that you can download, and that, um, that has all the verses or passages there that you can follow along with as well. So feel free to do that. Second Samuel 12. Okay. So this first type of suffering is suffering for doing evil. Suffering for doing evil. Or to put it another way, this type of suffering is like the suffering that we bring on to ourselves. Something that you know is wrong, we know is wrong, but we do it anyways. And as a, re- as a result, there's suffering and kind of discipline because of it. Okay? So God wants us to have life, but he also wants us to learn from our failures. Even in our suffering and our discipline, he, he's, he's teaching us something about that. So the Bible suggests that this type of suffering is kind of based more on common sense, I would kind of say. Kind of like uh, the Bible uses the, word, like, the phrase, we reap what we sow. So, for example, like if you plant a rose bush, um, you shouldn't expect like strawberries. <laughs> you reap what you sow. Or like last series in Jonah, um, Jonah was called um, as a prophet to be on mission, to do a certain mission for God. He was reluctant all the way through, um, mostly, and he, he got disciplined because of it. And in the end, he ended up doing God's mission. So, for a biblical example um, of suffering for doing evil, let's check out David, King David. So, some of you might know the story. Uh, David was king, and one day he was standing outside of his room, and he, and he overlooks, um, uh, he just looks out of his room, and he sees Bathsheba, right, taking a bath, right? It's kind of weird that her name starts with bath, and she, I don't know, it was weird, but he was basically watching her like a creep, you know? And he's like, man, he, he gets his ideas like, I want that girl, you know? And so he wants that girl, and he goes and gets her. So long story short, um, he had Bathsheba's husband killed. He was in the army. He, he worked it out so that he um, was killed, and he ended up having a baby with Bathsheba, okay? So long story short, that's what's going on. And then at one point, um, we're told that this prophet Nathan comes up to David and tells him a story. He's like, David, hey, man, I got to tell you a story, okay? And the story is kind of weird. I'm going to summarize it a little bit. He basically says that the, the story is about a rich man, okay, who had many lambs, but um, took and sacrificed a poor man's lamb. This poor man had one lamb that he grew up with all of his life, 
And so the rich man took that lamb instead of one of his own that he had many of and sacrificed it and used it for one of the wealthy man's guests. Okay? So modern day translation, it's like if a wealthy person or maybe any one of us went to like a baseball game and we saw someone who um, was, you know, begging for, for change or asking for change and that wealthy man had a guest with them and they took the, the poor man's change to use it to buy a hot dog for their friend, right? It's like modern day translation. A lot of us would be like, what is wrong with that guy? Like do something about that. And so David responds kind of the same way. Second Samuel 12 verse 5. So after Nathan the prophet told David the story, he says this. This is David's response. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. This is where it gets good. Nathan said to David, You are the man, right? You are the man. He's not, he's not telling David like, Oh, you're the man, David. You're like wanting to seek out justice on this guy. He's like, No. That's actually about you. The story's about you. You're that man. And so I love that part. Um, <laughs> David must have just, like, really just sunk at that time, like, totally embarrassed, like, oh, man, like, I did that. that. That's me. I am that man. And basically what he said is that um, in his response, he basically said that he should kill himself because of what he did. That's how severe this was and how he responded. After all, David was anointed as king, so he was supposed to be protector of his people and supposed to provide um, justice to those um, for things that happen to their people. So David, we're told, he enters into like a new season of suffering because of this, reaping what he had sown. And we're told that, um, it's really kind of graphic actually, if you read most, more of the story, we're told that in um, his discipline, his, all of his sons would die from the sword, and even stranger, one of his sons would um, end up sleeping with all of his concubines. <laughs> so I, that's really crazy, but that's how the story goes. Um, the Bible's like that sometimes. But let, let's see this. Isn't this story, like, true of us, though? Um, have you seen this show up in your life? Maybe, maybe not, like, the whole discipline part that happened to David, but um, we, we suffer from the same things, from things that we have done, from our own... Um, choices and wrongdoings, things that we got ourselves into. So a lot of us are suffering right now or have suffered before because something that we brought onto ourselves. And the problem is that oftentimes it doesn't just involve us. It actually, that evil actually hurts other people as well. Take, for example, um, this like ridiculously prevalent um, heroin um, epidemic going on in our community. I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but there are people, like young people, dying all the time because of heroin overdoses and an addiction to this drug. I've, I've seen it, and I've actually done a funeral because of it. It's, it's terrible. It's devastating. And so, like David, it's, it's not even that these people are, are necessarily bad people, so to speak, but we suffer for evil because, I think, because we're blinded by our passions, right? So our pa- what is a passion? Passion, the definition is just this, a strong and barely controllable emotion or like a stimulation, from things like sexual ambition or from, like, the high of drugs, right? But it doesn't have to just be sexual ambition or drugs, um, this whole idea of suffering for doing evil. It's tricky with the wording, but you could also say suffering for doing bad because you might not see what you're doing as evil necessarily, but it might be something that's disrupting our relationship with God and our relationship with others. 
so we can get blinded by our passions and our desires, which lead us to, to doing evil, to doing those kind of bad things. So how do we identify if we're in that type of pain and suffering? Um, I say, I, I would think that one way, and there's tons of different responses and ways, but I think one way is when you have something to hide, when you have something to hide. Because usually we know when we're lying or cheating or stealing our way through situations. Uh, we feel guilty and we feel ashamed. Um, and we want to cover it up like nothing happened, sweep it under the rug. And for David, for David, and maybe even for us, we know when we're doing something wrong or engaging in the evil of this world, so to speak. But we can oftentimes reason it away, hide it, and forget about it. It's easy to do. We keep hiding it until it goes away or until someone brings it to our attention, like Nathan did for David. And so the fact is that we're only fooling ourselves because um, God sees these things. God knows. And God, um, for David, sent the prophet Nathan to expose it. So the response, I think, um, I think King David ends up responding well, and I think we can too in, in those situations. We can respond by um, repentance and obedience. Okay? So repentance is like a weird churchy word. Maybe some of us don't know. It, it, it basically just means that we were following our own way, and now we've recognized it. We've realized what we've done, and we're going to follow the ways of God instead now. That's all that means. So David, he finally realized that calling out to God, and in Second Samuel, if we go further, 2 Samuel 12, verse 13, he says this. So then David, after all this happened, went down. Then David said to Nathan, finally realizing, he's like, man, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. And I love that. It, it kind of echoes Roman 8.1, I would think, that says that there is no condemnation in those who know Christ. And so for David, maybe for us, the response is like changing our mind, following God instead, and following Jesus with obedience, despite what we have done. And this doesn't necessarily mean that when we do that, everything's going to be all better, like perfect, like, man, you're right, God, I did something bad, like, I want to follow you now. And he's like, oh, cool, like, you're off the hook, like, nothing, no discipline. We, we still get discipline. We see that in David. But um, as I said before, God is going to use that. Just think about David. David is known as a Bible hero, despite all the bad stuff that he, he did, all the failures that he had. And God uses him. And in fact, it was the line of David that Jesus came out of, the Savior. So that's suffering number one. Suffering number two now. Um, let's get into that. And I must say, I stole this wording from uh, 1 Peter. Let's read, I'm just going to read that for you out loud. 1 Peter 3 verse 17 says, For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And so the next type of suffering is suffering for doing good. Suffering for doing good. And we find that in 2 Corinthians 11. I just want to go there if you're following along. 2 Corinthians 11. That's on page 799 if you're following with those Bibles. Uh, to preface this type of suffering uh, for doing good, although not exclusively for um, people who are Christ followers, um, it is largely pointing to that type of suffering, suffering that uh, Christ followers do for, for do, get for doing good. Um, of course, though, there, there are exceptions. Obviously, Anybody who does good work is, is um, going to suffer, perhaps. I mean, you just think of those, those documentaries you watch on Netflix that you end up falling asleep to, right? Like the ones that, about the food industry and stuff like that. Uh, you know, sometimes those people get a lot of flack and get sued from those companies for doing what they think is a good thing. So that definitely can happen. But anyways, let's check out Paul's response to this and um, what he has to say. He actually ends up boasting about all the, like, the, the stuff he got into. So we read that here in 2 Corinthians 11. Verse 23 to 27, he says, 
I have made a fool of myself. Nope, that's not it. Here we go. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles. We get it, you're in danger. In danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at the sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Thanks for sharing. All right. So that, that's Paul, right? He, he's talking about all the things that he's suffered for, right? And I just want to pause there. Um, I, I got to just let you know, uh, I like to make fun of myself a lot of times. And I also like to make fun of uh, what Christians do sometimes, um, believe it or not. It's, it's, it can be pretty funny. <laughs> so um, when, I, when I think of a passage like this, I have something that I call a, uh, a meanwhile moment. Okay, so I'm going to try to, try to explain this to you. Um, a meanwhile moment. So, like, think of Paul, right, with what, everything you just said right here. Um, all this stuff is happening to him because he's, tr- he's trying to tell people about Jesus. And then you, like, fast forward to, like, 21st century America, right? Um, and it, this is where the meanwhile moment is. I, I like, I'll be in this moment at, at the office where I have, like, my MacBook Pro and my iPad and my $4 coffee. And then all of a sudden, like, the Internet will go out. And I'm like, why, God? Like, how long am I going to suffer? Like, the Internet is out. I can't, don't you know I'm doing ministry? Like, um, how, I, I need to work. And then I'm like, wait a minute. Like, Paul, like, that guy, <laughs> like, those early Christians, they, they went through all of this. They went through, like, actual suffering. So I'm always, like, that, that's my meanwhile moment, and I, and I have those a lot. They're, they're pretty funny. I can share more with you if you want. They're really good. I actually have a bunch of memes, too, if you want to see them. So I, I should have put them up there, but I didn't. Anyways, um, all I have to say, uh, why, why did Paul do all this, right? Why, why is he talking about this? Why did all this happen to him? Who in their right mind would boast about this stuff? Well, Paul tells us why elsewhere. He says that it's because of the gospel. It's because of the person of Jesus Christ, right, who suffered in our place, who died for us and rose again for us. It's for that message that he wants to give out to other people. So Paul says that he would give anything. And in fact, he has. He's given his entire life um, away for this. We've been told in um, church history. So he's given his life up for this, so that people might know who Christ is. This is a good work, Right? This is a work that all Christians, um, uh, if we're at some point being faithful, will, um, will see or face in some way, sometime. And this doesn't necessarily mean that you'll experience it maybe the same way as Paul, like being cold and naked. I don't, I'm not sure what that's about. But we will experience some of these things in our life. In 1 Peter, um, maybe not the exact same way, but 1 Peter, what we read a little bit ago, says that if it's God's will, right? So it's not necessarily something that we chase after, right? It's not something where we're like, man, I'm, I'm doing so good because, like, I, I'm getting pain and suffering because of this. Like, we don't chase that pain and suffering. We, we chase fo- following Jesus and telling people about him. And so just because you're not, like, overseas and, and dying for your faith like we see a lot of Christians are um, doesn't mean that our persecution is any less real, right? All, there's all kinds of different types of suffering and pain. And so I'm messing around with the whole meanwhile joke, but there is a form of Christian persecution or um, for suffering for doing good um, that, that happens and produces in our life. 
So for me and maybe for us in this room, it's more of kind of like an emotional thing, right? More of an emotional thing. What I mean is that maybe you've lost friendships, uh, a job, or, or have spouses that are totally unres- unsupportive of you because of your faith in Christ. But you keep following Jesus, and you keep continuing to allow him to transform your thinking, your, your view of the world, the, your work, the, what you love, what you do. Um, but people still don't understand and don't respond. Like the high school guy who uh, finally realizes that his faith in Christ means that he, he's going to stop pursuing these sexual ambitions that he's had. And he gets made fun of for it because of that. And he, gets, he loses friends because he won't do the things that his buddies are doing. Right? I've seen that happen. Or maybe, maybe you're a person who's thinking about going to Moody, right? There's my Moody plug. Um, if you're thinking about going to movie, Moody or any other, like, Christian school, or maybe you're thinking about starting a Bible study or getting more involved in your church, and then you, you hear the, the voices of your friends and your family, and they warn you. They're like, all right, cool, like, do that. Just, you know, don't, don't take the whole Jesus thing too seriously, right? Don't become, like, that Jesus freak, right? And so... That, that's something that we can feel, something emotional in that way. And that fear can sit in us and it can prevent us from doing a good work that maybe God has called us to do. So the bottom line is, when we are being faithful to God and putting our relationship with Jesus first, above anything else in the ways that we are lovingly called to do, then we'll face this kind of, persecu- this kind of suffering for doing good. And God allows this to happen um, in your faith and and your faith in Jesus will be stronger because of it. So how do we identify it? Um, I think it might be a little obvious, but I think one way to identify it is when, you're, when people are trying to suppress your faith in Jesus. When people are trying to suppress your faith in Jesus. Now, quick note on this. Let, let's, be, let's be honest about this, right? There's um, something I have to mention, okay? So not always are Christians being suppressed by their faith or their proclamation of Jesus because they're doing something right. Okay, I think you guys have probably seen this before. Sometimes it's because they think they're doing something right. Okay, so what I mean, um, for example, like if you guys go on Facebook, who who's on Facebook here? Most of everybody. Okay, a lot of people. I, I lie. I can't even really see your hands. I'm just guessing. Um, so <laughs> uh, think about like on Facebook. I, I remember seeing this post. Someone posted like a picture of Jesus. Right? He's like all white and like beautiful hair, Jesus, and he's like holding his hand out like this, and it says it says. Like, if you love Jesus, do nothing if you want to go to hell. And you're like, and then the person's wondering why people are commenting, like, really bad things to him. It's like, I'm not sure you're suffering for doing good in that case, you know. There, there's a little bit of difference there. there. There's, like, the right way to do things, and then there's that way, you know. So, um, I'm sorry if, if that's, that might help. I mean, hey, I don't know. Maybe God can use that. Um, that's just my example and my thoughts. But, um, instead, we, we need to test, obviously, what we're doing, right? Test it up against scripture and prayer and community, like in life group and people that we, we know who are Christ followers. We need to test it, test what we're doing and say, man, is this something that I'm doing that is right, right? Test that from the word of God and other people. Okay, so how do we respond if we're in that kind of suffering? When it comes to how, how I should respond to this, um, just look at the life examples of Jesus and Paul. Um, they would show us that it, the response to this kind of suffering for doing good is love and perseverance. Okay, so what I mean by with love is, um, in love, how we respond is by uh, forgiveness, right? So when someone hurts us, or betrays us, or talks down on us, or, or whatever because of our faith, 
um, we're, we're, we're called to forgive, like Jesus forgave, right? Um, he was on the cross dying, and he asked God the Father to forgive the people that were killing him, right? Forgiveness. And perseverance. We see that with Paul. All the things he just said, he persevered through all that stuff because he had a mission. The mission was to present the good news of Jesus to the world. So he persevered through that stuff. And so I think that's um, the example that we see to respond as well. If we do not respond in love or, or forgiveness or anything like that, then we, we're the person who lashes back out when we put the Facebook post that we shouldn't put up. We, we end up lashing back out on people, and that, that ends up not being a healthy response either. So uh, the first two that we talked about, uh, suffering for doing evil, suffering for doing good. And this next one, um, something that we've all probably experienced, or we will, uh, suffering from loss. Suffering from loss. So to help us out, just um, put your thumb in 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 Thessalonians 4. Okay, so there are many different types of responses for loss, right? From the family that loses their teenager in a sudden and unexpected car accident to the family that cherishes their last moments with their grandmother who is either dying of old age or passing from an illness. Um, to, the, to the person who, who lost their job and is unable to uh, get a job again. All those things are different types of losses. And so this is universal. This is common to all suffering. It's common to all of us. And so I recently, um, I recently personally just felt this uh, uh, about a week or so ago. Um, I just found out, um, actually, th- this, this guy that I've known, he started coming to our church, and we started talking again. I kind of lost contact with him and this other mutual friend that we had. Um, so this friend, she was, she was young. Um, she, we worked together, we, we hung out together, and actually, my wife Maggie and I, we, oddly enough, we, several years back, we bartended her wedding, that was kind of weird, but we did that, and um, yeah, you guys can judge me, I don't know, <laughs> it, was, it was fun, it was a great opportunity, um, but uh, either way, we, you know, we, we shared life with this person, and I just found out that she died of a rare form of cancer last year, and I just found this out a couple weeks ago, because I lost touch with these people, and so... Uh, we, we suffer this kind of loss all the time, and if you're anything, if you're like me, I'm like, man, you're just like thinking to yourself, you're like, I, I just saw that person, it felt like. Like, what happened? She was young, she was full of life, newly married. What happened? And you ask God these questions, you're like, why? Like, God, why is this happening? Like, well, how do I respond? What do I do in these circumstances? And so the, the thing that tends to happen when we're in this kind of pain and suffering is that it forces us to, to see what we're putting our hope in. It forces us to do that. This type of suffering is seen all throughout the Bible, right? And Jesus himself, we saw last week, um, he wept uh, because Lazarus died, right? He wept. He, he understands this pain and this loss. He, re- he recognizes it, and he doesn't like that there is this kind of death and loss in our life. But we can still have hope, um, the Bible would say. To identify, I think it's, it's painfully obvious to identify this, so we'll just talk about a response. I think 1 Thessalonians brings out a really good response. Um, so Paul, he addresses this issue a bit in his letter to the Thessalonians. Um, the church there was worried about um, people started to die after um, Christ um, had visited them. People started to die, and they were wondering, like, man, what happens to people when they die? Like, we really want to know that. Like, what's going on? And so 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13 He kind of encourages the church, and he says this. He says, brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. 
So the response then is to look toward Jesus to, for real hope. Um, Paul elsewhere says to fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. So what are we putting our hope in? Will it be something that will raise us up when, we're, when we need it to be raised up? Will it be something that will raise us from the death, like, like he's saying here, like Paul's saying? For the Christ follower, the hope is that one day we will be raised from the dead with a new body and all this other stuff. And it's crazy to think about, but it's awesome, right? Paul gives us that hope. He reassures us that one day we will be raised, and it's awesome. After all, if God could raise Jesus from the dead, he surely will raise us as well. Okay, so the last type, suffering for mystery, or suffering mysteriously, rather. Suffering mysteriously. So we're going to go to this, this awesome book. I don't even know if I'm saying his name right, but it's Habakkuk, okay? Can you guys say that out loud, just for fun? Yes, all right. Some of you guys are still with me. I like it. All right, so Habakkuk, go there, if you will. Um, first of all, uh, this is a really good short book. Has anyone ever read this before? Just hands. I can't see your hands anyways, but there's probably a couple. Um, so it's a fun book. I'm just going to kind of describe it for you real quick. Basically, the way it works in these three chapters, Habakkuk, is, he's a prophet, and he, he starts out by complaining to God, okay? So he complains to God, and then God responds, and then Habakkuk doesn't really understand, so he complains again, and then God responds, and then Habakkuk, he's finally like, oh, I, I still don't get it. But then he responds, ending up by like praising and worshiping God. So it's kind of like Job. Um, I kind of wanted to go to Job, but we've already been through Job a lot during this series, so Habakkuk, why not? So basically, um, let, let's walk through this real quick. Habakkuk 1, verse 2 and 3, says this, How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. So some background real quick. Habakkuk... um, his people are, place, are from a place called Judah, okay? And they're becoming morally and spiritually corrupt, and they're basically just destroying themselves. And so Habakkuk, he thinks, man, God is just sitting around watching this happen. What is going on here? Why is he letting this happen? So he's forced to ask God those questions. He's like, God, why? How long what, must we face this? How long are we going to endure this? Why do you tolerate this? Why do you just go around letting this kind of stuff happen, Right? And so that's a very question that some of us have asked ourselves, or some of the people that we know are asking themselves as well. Of course, we can relate to this. I mean, just look at the news, right? Um, I just look at my news feeds, and I'm like, man, there's, there's so much death and devastation. There's viruses and illnesses. There is um, threats to all of our safety. It is crazy. And you're just, you think sometimes, you're like, where is God? <laughs> Why is this happening? Where are you? And so... Um, fast forwarding a little bit with Habakkuk, God kind of gives a response here in verse 4, in chapter 2, verse 4. He says this, he says, see, he is puffed up, his desires are not upright, but the righteous will live by his faith. Okay, so um, fast forwarding the dialogue here, because we don't have too much time to go too much in depth, but basically God is referring to the Babylonian king at this time. So God was raising up this king from Babylon who was um, even more evil than Judah to destroy Judah, to get rid of that evil. And to Habakkuk's response, he's like, 
This doesn't make any sense. Like, um, I'm complaining about this violence and evil that's happening to my people, and there's another person who's suppressing us, Babylon. But you're going to use Babylon to go, like, destroy the evil here. How, he's like, how does this make any sense at all? Why are you doing this? How could you allow this to happen? But God then tells Habakkuk to watch and to wait and to just be faithful. He says, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. He's like, you just worry about yourself. The righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Paul, said, Paul echoes the same thing a lot he, when he says that um, if you want to be a righteous person, it's only by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And so God will rescue us from the present evil is what he's saying. He's like, pain and suffering will happen. Um, that, that's no um, question. But remain faithful to me, God says. And so Habakkuk gives a final response after kind of coming to terms with this a little bit. He says in Habakkuk 3, verse 18, he says, Despite all this, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. So Habakkuk, in the end, he still doesn't understand. He still doesn't have it fully um, altogether, but he rejoices in the Lord fully. Right? So he prays and he praises God for who he is, who he says he is, as he's trying to be, put his faith in God. So the point of this story is that um, there will be suffering that we all just cannot account for. It's mysterious, it's disastrous, it's unforeseen, and it's completely painful. And I don't have to convince, you any, I don't have to convince any of you of this. I think, um, I think we could say we've all experienced this, or maybe we will. But we, we ask ourselves, like, why? And so how do we identify if we're in this kind of pain and suffering? I think we'll identify it because you will feel helpless, small, and confused. This is at least how I've identified it. And what I mean is that it's mysterious because we're, we're usually caught in the middle of it, and uh, we cannot see outside of it. So we feel helpless, like we can't do anything. There's nothing that I can do in this current situation. And we feel small because you realize that you're not in control of your life the way you thought you were, right? And then we feel confused because you're wondering, who is in control? Where is God? We ask those questions. So the response, I think, that we get from um, Habakkuk in his ending prayer there, the response is to do, to do what he does. He responds by faith and by worship, okay? So God tells us that the righteous will live by faith, right? And that that faith should be in the person of Jesus Christ, the one who died and rose for us, and He's saying, man, put your faith in me. That's how you should respond. Don't worry about what's going on. Worry about your current situation. Put your faith in me. And in response, worship me. Praise me. So Habakkuk and Job, those guys, they finally realize that when they're having these crazy conversations with God. And God's basically like, where were you when, you, when I created the, the beginning of the earth and the world, right? And Job's like, man. I don't know anything. <laughs> I'm small. I'm confused, and I'm, and I'm hopeless, or I'm helpless. So we look to God, and we, we have faith, and we worship him. And so when we do this, and we, we ask God questions, um, and really when we respond to any one of these types of suffering in a healthy way um, that, that we've seen so far, I think God is trying to tell us something. God is talking to us. And I think C.S. Lewis, um, I'll use him because I'm a Christian, right? Everyone reads him. Um, here's a good quote from him. He says this, he says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to, a, to rouse a deaf world. So I think what he's saying is like God is trying to talk to us. He's trying to wake us up. He's trying to have us listen up. He's talking to us in our pain. 
whether it's from doing evil, from doing good, from loss, or mysteriously, he's trying to talk to us, and he's always trying to tell us that he wants a relationship with us, and that he's doing something about this. He's doing a good work. So I like, I like what Ecclesiastes has to say um, about when times are bad, and really, um, when we're experiencing all these different types of suffering. I'll put it on the board here, Ecclesiastes 7.14. Um, it goes like this. When times are good, be happy. Okay, that's, that's easy. Uh, but when times are bad, consider. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, a man cannot discover anything about his future. I like this. That basically, sometimes things are going great, right? Enjoy those times. Give God glory um, when things are going good and things are happening that way. But when times are bad, consider. Consider what God is doing and, and see how you can give him glory in that as well. So we don't know our future or what our current suffering will produce if we're in the middle of it. And the good news is that we don't have to know, <laughs> right? Habakkuk says, man, put your, faith in G- put your faith in God because God sent his son to secure our future for us. So I'll invite the band up now, and um, as, they, as they come up, I'm going to finish up with this last quote. I'm, like, doing all the quotes today. Um, Tim Keller, he's pretty awesome. I was reading one of his books, uh, this book by um, Tim Keller called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. I think he helps us wrap this up a little bit. Um, here's what he says. Most books and resources for sufferers today no longer talk about enduring affliction, but instead use a vocabulary drawn from business and psychology to enable people to manage, reduce, and cope with stress, strain, or trauma. Sufferers are counseled to avoid negative thoughts, to buffer themselves with time off, exercise, and supportive relationships, to problem solve, and to learn to accept things we can't change. But all the focus is on controlling your immediate emotional responses and environment. For centuries, however, Christianity has gone both higher and deeper in order to furnish believers with the resources to face tribulation. I think that's great. I think what Keller is saying here and what he'll say in the book too is that, man, we get to walk through these things with God. When we're going through these types of suffering, we actually, he encouraged us to ask questions, to walk through this with God instead of suppressing it, right? But to go deeper into it, more than just what our emotions have to say about it. We can ask God questions and questioning why something is happening. Because the Christian faith is not blind or afraid to ask the tough questions. Because we have a God that is real, and he's trying to talk to us, and he's trying to have a relationship with us and do a good work out of the suffering that is going through for us. So the takeaway is this. When you're in the midst of pain and suffering, to identify what type of suffering you're going through, right? To respond in a godly way and to prepare yourself by asking God questions and trusting him and his answers. Not all suffering is the same, but the Christian response is that God can use it all. Jesus wants us to walk through the pain and suffering with him, not to suppress it, but to identify it, to respond to it, and to prepare yourself for it. That's all I got for you guys. I love you guys. Thanks for being here this morning. Um, I'm going to pray for us now, okay? Lord Jesus, God, I know that this is, these are just tough topics. God, I'm still kind of feeling the weight of it now, um, even to have studied it and gone through it personally, these kind of things. But Lord, God, you're good, and you're trying to do a good work in and through all these types of suffering. So God, just help us to identify this. Maybe we're, someone here is in, is in this type of suffering currently. Help them to identify that, to respond to it well, 
and to get support for it as well. God, you're, you are trying to talk to us, and you're trying to have a relationship with us. And God, I, th- I thank you so much for that, that you are revealing yourself. You're not just the distant God out in the sky looking to get us, <laughs> but you are, you are totally involved in our lives, and you want us to know that. And sometimes we, man, it, it takes a low point in our life to, to kind of see that. So God, help us to, to focus on you and, and rely on you. And God, for anyone here today going through any of these types of suffering, Lord, God, I just ask that you're with them and that they, they feel your presence today and that they know that you are a good God. You, you're all-knowing, you're all-powerful, and you see the pain that they're going through, that we're all going to be going through at some point. And you offer a response to us. You say that you're going to use it and you're going to help us through it. Help us just to focus on you. And I just pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.